As it gets hotter outside, it's uh, less exciting to be outside, which means watching more movies, which means watching all the James Bond movies. Your favorite? Well, I'm a big fan of Dr. No, because that's the original. But then as I think about the whole spectrum of James Bond movies, I am a huge fan of the movies that were like in the late 70s, early 80s. That brings me to For Your Eyes Only. I also love the original ones. And even like there's a certain scene in Goldfinger where they're at the hotel in Miami. There's the high dive that's 90 stories in the air or whatever. Like something you can't have anymore. And he's playing cards by the pool and they're spying on him, whatever. The best done movie is probably Casino Royale. I'm surprised none of us picked Moonraker. Because that scene where Jaws is trying to bite through James Bond's suit in the space shuttle, that's amazing. Unbelievable cinematography. Welcome to Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Touchpoint. You are joining us for the most popular episode yet, Episode 181. I mean, as far as we know, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Is that like a creative visualization where we say it and and, in the anticipation it will happen? Speak it into existence. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, that is Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith. And of course, as always, we're very thankful that you've joined us for another week, another episode of Touchpoint. The website, touchpoint.health, obviously will have the show notes for this show and all the other episodes as well as the other shows on the Touchpoint Network. And you're asking yourself, wait a minute, I didn't know there were other shows, and I didn't know this was a network. Well, yes, both are true. Both can be found at touchpoint.health. Would encourage you to go check those out. You may find another show and show host that you would enjoy uh, digging into and learning from. And also, while you're there, you can sign up for the TPS Report, which is our weekly email. comes out every Monday. And uh, has links and to stories aggregated by said show hosts from uh, around the industry. Also, some information about conferences that are coming up, as well as links to all the most recent episodes on the Touchpoint Network that were released in the previous week. We'd love if you went and did that. You can also help us out by rating, reviewing, subscribing, wherever you happen to be listening, whether that's Apple Podcasts, streaming on Spotify, whatever it may be. We would love that support and certainly appreciate uh, the effort and energy that takes going into doing that. And uh, by doing that, you're going to help other people find the show, which is uh, the number one way you can help us out. So we're going to take a quick pause right here. and We'll be right back with episode 181. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. 
Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Reed, in today's episode, we're going to revisit a topic that's very important for us, uh, and that is using digital tools and tactics to nurture and build a relationship with our customers. And there's that word again, nurture. I think it's been about a year now since we talked specifically about nurturing as a podcast episode. It has been since episode 130. So it's been literally right at a year. So we're 51 episodes since we, uh, as you listen, as the crow flies or whatever, I don't know, whatever that saying is, <laughs> since we did talk about this last, nurture versus nature. In this day and age, I think it's really important for us to readdress this topic, certainly because it becomes an important tool for us to use as a way to continually to engage with our customers in this unprecedented times, if I can use that term in our podcast. <laughs> there were uh, air quotes, unprecedented times <laughs> right there. Are they still unprecedented? Because we've been saying this for a while now. So now I think it's pretty well precedented. Well, I mean, here we are. When does one move from unprecedented to precedented? I would say that probably four months of stay-at-home physical distancing probably sets it off. We've had another swell of uh, high spots, and so I would say that's no longer unprecedented. We had it precedent at times. It was New Orleans. It was New York. But in any case, sorry, we're getting sidetracked on something that's not <laughs> anyway remotely important to this episode. To get us back to the topic at hand, right? Let's first start with the concept of nurturing. Some of you may not have gotten back and listened to our old episode. You might be new listeners. So let's first talk about what lead nurturing is. And we're going to actually pull from the article that we used last year, because it's really good. It's from Marketo, a company that focuses a lot on lead nurturing. And uh, they have a definition here. Reed, do you want to share it with the audience? Nurturing is the process of developing relationships with consumers or customers at each and every stage of the, of the funnel, right, or of the journey, if you will, through all of those steps. And it focuses our efforts as marketers and communicators to really understand and listen to the needs of our customers and provide the information and answers that help them make the right decisions. And that's why sometimes it's called next best action marketing. And we've heard that term coming up very frequently over the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. And so we talk about calls to action a lot. So this is different. It's a little different, right? Calls to action are just offering them something to do. Call us, make an appointment, uh, download this thing or whatever it might be. But next best action actually is a little bit more nuanced. And that's why we are turning back to our old friend from online, which is Wikipedia, to give us a definition of next best action marketing. So a consumer-centric marketing paradigm that considers the different actions that can be taken for a specific customer and decides on the best one. That sounds complicated. First of all, it's a paradigm, so it has to be complicated. Secondly, it's really trying to help understand what the, the best 
call to action is, not just a call to action, the best. And that next best action could be an offer, a proposition, a service. It's really determined by the customer's interests and the needs on one hand, and then also the organization's business objectives, policies, offerings on the other. So it's kind of a balance between what's best for the customer and what's the best thing we can provide them as an organization. And so they talk about in here that it is a contrast, even a sharp contrast to traditional marketing approaches. Because in that case, you're creating the proposition first for a product or a service, and then trying to find the people that are interested. We're taking what we have, creating a value proposition, which is not all bad, but we create that call to action and then go try to find the people to take said call to action or that would be interested, the targeting. And it's complicated. That's why there are campaign management tools that are used for this. And that's why when we talk about artificial intelligence and other things, they're typically applied in the practice of direct next best action marketing. When we start to hear that in your mind, you can start to assume that there is a complete shift in the way marketers think when they approach this. Why is it that there's been this rise of next best action marketing? They call out a few things in here. First one is, is that become, you know, people have become much less tolerant to receiving, you know, solicitations. And, you know, we bag on direct mail or uh, LinkedIn solicitations or whatever it is. But that's, you know, kind of think about it through that lens, right? I mean, because you're you're forcing your opinion onto somebody else. So it's all outbound and people are becoming less tolerant of that, certainly. Another thing, too, they say is that regulations are limiting kind of spam-like activity, that outbound activity. Telemarketing calls, direct mails, text. Me- I'm getting a lot of spammy text messages lately. All of these things are starting to be heavily regulated. And in healthcare in particular, the way we communicate with our patients and our, our customers, our patient customers, becomes incredibly regulated as well. Yeah, and finally, that they do call out just the savviness of the consumer now. Certainly on the internet, you think about the things that they're dealing with on a daily basis with smartphones and voice devices and stuff like that. So people have just become more savvy and uh, they just decided they don't want this stuff back to the tolerance piece, right? And even can circumvent it in a lot of ways. Which leads organizations to really embrace this next best action marketing. And that's great. And we're going to talk through some of that uh, later on in the interview and a great example of an organization, a healthcare organization that's doing it. But there are benefits and drawbacks as well. One of the first complications that arises if you're starting to look at next best action marketing is if you are organized in a product-centric way. When we think about ourselves as a health system, oftentimes we structure ourselves as service line marketing. We're trying to generate demand around orthopedics, or we're trying to generate demand around cancer, whatever it might be. That's more like traditional campaign management activities. And next best action is normally used to support the entire bottom line, which means that many different lines of business often have to collaborate. Often when you're talking to someone that might be a candidate for, let's say, bariatric surgery, they could also be a candidate for heart surgery or for other types of needs. And so your goals need to be reset to better reflect what that customer-centric nature is of the next best action. You know, the second 
I guess complication as they call it is is the level of unpredictability. Although it, it, it will optimize the bottom line and have these attractive features and things like that that we've talked about, the on-the-fly decision-making makes it a little bit harder to know in advance what the results will be. So the idea of uh, forecasting, for example, it's not as straightforward as the kind of linear path, if you will, of the traditional type marketing would, would provide. When you say traditional type marketing, it's usually you're sending them an offer and they'll like call for an appointment or they'll download this guide or something like that. Very straightforward, specific. That isn't to say that those things don't work. Mm-hmm. It just is, as you look at, start to look at next best action strategies, you also have to start to predict, well, what if they don't take that linear path to care, which many people don't do in healthcare? And how do you start to predict for that? And how do you start to understand that? That's why there's this whole concept of a lot of testing, a lot of analysis of big data sets, a lot of work around making sure that as you're structuring this next best strategy, you may even need to simulate them in advance, right? Create something, test it out, try it, prototype it, bring it back, optimize it, fix it, that sort of thing, which is sometimes challenging. And and in particular, in in this day and age for healthcare marketers, that is a little bit of a a daunting task, particularly since your budgets are shrinking and other things are happening. Again, it's easier to just update the year on your um, plan and budget and just turn it back in. Right, right. That's the course of least resistance because it's there's some level of predictability, familiarity where, you know, people getting these things are expecting it, you know, your CFO for example. And then the other thing too here is this is really based on customers' needs and we've been talking about this for for weeks now, Reed, customers' needs have changed dramatically throughout this pandemic. The old ways of doing things are probably not going to fly for the future because people are now starting to become less engaged with their care. They're starting to be very cautious, but there's a lot of factors that lead into the new customer mindset. And so when you start to think about next best action, you really need to make it contextual to what's there in the current state with the customers. And that's ever-changing. That's a challenge. Why don't we take a brief pause and then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about the current state from a perspective of what is going on in marketing departments now. And then we'll also address, before we get to the interview, a little bit about um, bias. We'll do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. As we think about this and we think about where where we are, right? Again, we talked about this a year ago, almost exactly like we talked about 51 episodes ago. It's a lot different now. Even the customer journey is different in the sense of, you know, virtual and telehealth and those types of things. And so we're rethinking, we marketers are rethinking this idea of 
consumerism and the journey itself and what nurturing really looks like because all the parameters have changed. But again, it seems like I've read this somewhere, you know, this next action piece, it's almost like these are segments of one versus like all men in their 20s that look like this. And I've got an article here from MarTech Today that talks about that despite budget cuts, that chief marketing officers, CMOs are still bullish on marketing automation investments. So you just read that kind of at a high level and it's like, oh, wait, what now? You know, because I've seen a lot about decreasing and losing people and losing business, uh, again, because of what has gone on. The article, which was written, by the way, in June, so this is recent, they say that Forrester expects that chief marketing officers are going to reduce their spend on marketing technology and ad tech solutions through 2021. And along with that, they're also going to be reducing marketing services and internal headcount, leaving the overall marketing spend at the, at the start of 2022 nearly 30% behind what it was in 2019. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, it, you know, and losing as much as $15 billion by the end of 2021. And so this isn't healthcare specific. Uh, these are very large numbers, talking about losing 30% of their staff, salaries down. That's kind of the reality where we're at. So you, you look at the headline and you think like, what? That's just counterintuitive to you know, thinking about those stats. They say here, right, that performance marketing and the MarTech that enables it was under question before COVID-19 anyway. And over the last four months, that experience has really confirmed with the analytics that have been said previously, that is touching customers too aggressively and too frequently actually makes it hard for the sales team to sell. And that was from uh, Proof Analytics CEO Mark Stuce said that. So why is it this, this article says, you know, that there's a drive, though, of an increase of marketing automation? What, what's driving that? Well, I mean, they talk about that, you know, Forrester specifically is claiming that, that marketing automation is what's going to save MarTech. And so their predictions, Forrester's predictions, MarTech will see a 4% decline overall, but the marketing automation, so kind of within that, will continue to grow. So they're talking about about 3%. So with budgets and headcount reduced for the, for the foreseeable future, their point is, I guess, is that marketers are focusing more on the conversion rate, optimization, lead nurturing, things that you can automate, I guess, and looking at, well, how do we retain the customers that we have, which makes a lot of sense. You always hear that it's in, in seeing plenty of stats around, it's cheaper to keep the customers you have versus find new ones. And so that's kind of where they're thinking a lot of this nurturing will come into play, obviously, is from a retention standpoint, I would assume. And that actually leads to another article that we also found, which talks about one of the key platforms around next best action, this nurturing strategy, which is marketing automation, marketing automation software. In it, they had another big organization, Frost and Sullivan, they did a study recently that said cost pandemic growth opportunity analysis of marketing automation solutions. And they say that adoption of marketing automation will improve because it has a potential to make marketing and sales efforts more effective through nurturing, through this automated emails, through development of, of nurturing uh, next best action campaigns, through lead management. No wonder they're kind of doubling down on this particular type of software. Yeah, they talk about the fact that these types of systems will be key in collecting and analyzing all of that consumer data, which is a lot. 
that ultimately will give brands and companies better insight into the customer journey and experience. So again, like I mentioned a minute ago, the customer journey has changed quite a bit in the last five weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, depending on where you are in the country. And will continue to as we see things you know, spike back up or maybe in the fall. I know there's some concern in winter months around what that's going to do so that the journey itself has changed. You know, these platforms certainly can adjust prices, remove fees, enhance capabilities in the time of crisis that they talk about in this article. But ultimately, again, if you go back to that, you know, we're targeting an N of one and we're using information you tell us about yourself to then provide you with the answers and services and products. That's where the opportunity, I think, stands, especially in, in the pandemic that we're in. To that end, it's clear that Next best action, nurturing, all of these types of strategies and tactics that you do are critical, are very important. And it all bases, it's contingent upon understanding the customer better and understanding their needs better. Look back to some of the previous episodes that we've done around using empathy to better understand your customer and what are the elements of being customer centric. I mean, all of these things that we've been talking about now have to start to manifest in the way that we approach using these efforts, these strategies to better engage in this day and age. But one last thing before we go to the interview, Reed, is we should talk about how we can do this and avoid having bias in what we're doing. Because the one thing we've also learned is that we as marketers have an inherent bias. The more we actually are involved with responding to the coronavirus and getting kind of lost in the emergency responses and all the things that we have to do, it's hard for us to sometimes see the forest for the trees, right? So we just don't do it. That is how we <laughs> avoid bias. <laughs> Not really. Um, so article that we'll, we'll kind of jot through here real quick. Three common errors uh, that can can render your customer journey maps ineffective. And so this is kind of plays right into what we've been talking about, but it's from Forbes. They go into several things. And so the first one, let's jump in here, is the failure to identify all the touch points. And so, again, removing the bias and so really understanding where those customer touch points reside. So if you think about a traditional traditional customer journey map, the idea is to list every touch point of contact between the patient, the consumer, you know, however you want to frame that, and, and the organization. And so, again, if you're talking about physician outreach, well, then it's they're the customer, right, or the physician in the, in the organization. So some of them are super easy to spot, right? And if you think about healthcare, it's like, okay, we're on social media. You know, we don't really have the point of sale like retail does in, in a way. So you can start kind of mapping out and, oh, you've got these in-person seminars or we used to have in-person seminars. Maybe they're virtual seminars now and you got, you know, they've hit the website and things like that. I think, you know, we've got to get a little bit past that. And it talks about, you know, that others are trickier, especially when they're initiated by the consumer and they don't take place on one of your own properties. You know, they talk about it here on McKinsey Report specifically, it talks about two thirds of touch points during the uh, evaluation phase is consumer driven. And so when we say consumer driven here, this is stuff that we typically as marketers don't think about, right? It could be a third party websites like insurance provider websites. It could be things that are happening on social media where they're not actually having that conversation on your own channels, right? They're, they're actually learning about your brand. Otherwise, There's, we kind of covered some of these before, but it becomes 
tip it very, very critical. Well, I mean, think about like a mom that is expecting multiples. Well, they find the local Facebook group, moms of multiples or whatever. Well, you're not in charge of that. So they're, they're in there asking, what questions should I ask? What doctor should I go to? Do I need an MFM? You know, all these types of things. How is your experience? I'm thinking about having a doula. I'm thinking about delivering at home. I'm thinking about coming to the hospital. So again, all of these kind of buying decision questions, Q&A, are happening outside of your world and any information that you're provided. A second point that they say here, the one of the second error they say is common, is the failure to prioritize the most important touch points. It's clear when you're talking about customers, there's a, a multiple different ways that they can interact with your brand. If you start to map out the journey, you try to map all of them, but not all of those touch points are equal. It's easy for us to become overwhelmed by all these undifferentiated touch points. The best way when you start to journey map is to flag all the interactions so you can guard against critical gaps or lapses or areas where you might not be tracking and where they might be actually losing their way off the journey, so to speak. You know, unfortunately, to do that, it it takes a little bit of time. You have to really focus your your energy on it. You have to measure it, et cetera. But um, it's very valuable if you can do that. Also, they talk about the third of the three most common errors is a failure to see the journey from the customer's perspective. So putting your putting yourself in their shoes. So again, we're looking at it through maybe the course of action uh, you would like for them to take <laughs> versus what they would take, right, or what they would do or what is logical. And so, you know, you would like for them to see your Facebook ad, click through the website, sign up attend the seminar, schedule surgery. Like It's a very linear scenario, right? Versus see the ad, click on the ad, immediately leave your website. See the ad again later, click, you know, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of back and forth and we just, we don't really look at, you know, what the full picture really accounts for. Right. And often, as we've also talked about before, Reed, it, it, often occurs in other departments. It's not just marketing that's responsible for that. Not many organizations have marketing own the complete customer experience. So you're dealing with people that you haven't really interacted with before, the call centers, uh, the clinical teams, whatever it may be. So it's it becomes really important as you're starting to think about nurturing and building out your next best action strategy to expand your horizons, so to speak. And I think that that really is reflected in the interview that you did with uh, Ben Saden, right? It is, yeah. And I had a chance to talk to Ben. It's been a, a little bit back. I, you know, we've been fortunate, just as an aside, we've been fortunate to have a, a number of people be recommended to be on the show, want to be on the show, et cetera. And so when I talked to Ben, it was really funny because a lot of this was just starting to happen, although we didn't really talk about it much, you know, as far as like the pandemic and things like that. And so it's funny to look back on this conversation that happened a few months ago now and realize it, it might be more important than it was then just a few months ago. It was great to be able to, to visit with him a little bit and learn what they're doing. Well, why don't we run that interview now? I think it is really good, even though it was in the before times, as I sometimes say, and and listen in how his organization, he works for a health system in in Illinois, and how he structured his department to really look at at, uh, nurturing next next best actions. It's, It's fascinating, and particularly now, as many health systems are starting to struggle through to figure out what are those next best steps. 
I assume that Ben is very valuable at his organization. So let's listen in. All right, welcome back to Ask the Expert, the portion of the podcast where we uh, have somebody come on the show that's practically doing stuff in the space and doing some cool things and hear from uh, exactly what all they're doing. Today, fortunate to have Ben Seiden from uh, Franciscan Health, marketing director there up in the great state of Illinois. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. You're the marketing director. I'm sure there's a number of you guys that have a number of different specialties. So what specifically are you doing within the marketing communications organization there? My team is functioning on the CRM piece. So we are in charge of lead capture and lead nurturing. We have about 45 campaigns in market that range from helping people to get bariatric surgery to a mammogram, colonoscopy, even a sleep study. Let's kind of hone in on that a little bit. I, you know, based on what we're talking about today on the show, I think this idea of lead capture, the nurturing and drip marketing, and you know, people hear all these terms. And I think it's interesting to think about somebody like yourself that has that many campaigns in market, certainly. How are you finding people? How does that work? What does that process and life cycle really look like? I think historically, we as an industry, we as marketers in the kind of hospital healthcare world have done a little bit of this. And it's probably not even really fair to, to say that it's truly a nurturing process. You know, we're, we're having people take some course of action. We're maybe having some automated emails set up that kind of go back and things like that. But how do you, within the organization, whether you're uh, educating people within the organization, how do you explain nurturing? We really want to capture those people as soon as possible and then walk them through the nurturing pathway is what we call it. So for us, we want to get you when you're just still thinking about that issue, whatever it might be. And so we may ask you to complete a health risk assessment, a little quiz that'll take you five minutes and tell you whether this is something that's right for you or not. And then we'll ask you to download a guide or watch a video as you're doing those things and as you're giving us your information, then we're going to reach back out to you and we're going to start saying, okay, you showed interest here. Now we're going to send you a series of emails that will keep up with what you're doing. So we use Marketing Cloud through Salesforce to do that. And if you have downloaded a guide for a, a mammogram, for example, but you haven't requested the appointment yet, then you'll get this series of emails and th- those emails will come out they're front loaded right now is when you're interested, right? So, so we'll send you an email today and then we'll send you an email tomorrow. And then maybe a couple days later, we'll send you another one. And we're just trying to get you to decide to take that next step, decide to pick up the phone and make that phone call. And if you do, we see that because we've, we've got our engagement center call center reps who are going to take that call, schedule the appointment, and that feeds back into Marketing Cloud. So then it tells Marketing Cloud up to date where they are in the decision-making process. Marketing Cloud is going to either schedule a text or an email based on where they are in the process at that point. So how is this different than just the idea of like brand awareness or staying top of mind with folks? I mean, that's ultimately what you're doing at, at this juncture is you're trying to stay top of mind. What we're doing is we're saying we want you to take this next action. We're not just sending you, hey, come take a look at our blogs. We're saying click on this link to take whatever that next action 
might be. And we've got multiple actions. So it might be that you downloaded a guide and you're not scheduling an appointment yet. And so we're going to send you a seminar to watch that will help you to, again, consider that next step. And maybe two weeks go by and you haven't requested an appointment. And so then we're going to say, well, we don't want to lose this person. So there may be a comorbidity associated with, for example, bariatric surgery. So we couldn't get you to to do a bariatric surgery, but now we're going to start sending you a heart message. Why don't you take this heart risk assessment to see if you need to see one of our heart specialists? Uh, because we've got you in the funnel. We're going to keep you there. We may need to, to adjust where the funnel takes you, but we're going to keep working you through because we know that you were interested in our services. We know that you are somebody who needs to be one of our patients. And so we're going to continue to make it easy for you to choose Franciscan Health. So we, we've gone from this idea of just, hey, remember us when you need us to, okay, we've spent time internally deciding here's the logical pathway that somebody would take and that we would want someone to take around a particular service or or care pathway, if you will. And we've built this plan and messaging around it to actually move them through that in a sequential fashion or or whatnot. And and I would assume that extends into the discharge world, right? I mean, post-care. We definitely have begun meeting regarding our cancer journey. And so it might say a woman with stage two breast cancer is going to go through this experience and we're going to map it out and we're going to say, you, you know, this experience may be a four-year-long journey for you, but we're going to walk through where where you need to be receiving information. And the plan for that is going to be try to keep you out of the hospital, keep you out of the emergency room. So potentially two days after your procedure, you might feel nauseous or you might have this symptom or you might have that symptom. If you do, call this number. Because what we find is that people don't realize that chemotherapy is going to make them sick. They go to the emergency room and the emergency room says, all right, well, we don't know what's happening. So let's let's uh, order a bunch of tests. And then ultimately they bring the cancer doc into the emergency room anyway. And so it's really a patient dissatisfier, plus there's costs. And what we're finding is that this process of building a journey and anticipating the roadblocks, anticipating the needs, anticipating what the next steps are going to be so that we can funnel people through that process, that that's a huge patient satisfier. And this is really where, and Chris and I have talked a lot about this on the show, but it's getting harder to delineate where marketing starts and stops and where quality starts and stops and where historically patient experience you know, was held over here in this department. Now, with this idea of the digital front door, we've kind of backed into, you know, experiences, not just what happens in the brick and mortar locations. And so this, this is exactly what you're talking about. And so it's all kind of, it's interesting if you look at this kind of in a holistic fashion, there's a lot happening here. And we as marketers, you know, have to figure out how to kind of orchestrate people finding out about us, becoming engaged with us, and then nurturing them through that process, even through the satisfaction measures and some of that that we that we like to, to talk about. How do we get to this idea of nurturing? Is it sitting down with the clinical folks and understanding the care pathways? When I first came into Franciscan, that really was the the pathway. The they've come into the front door, uh, 
They've given us their lead information. And what we used to do is just send them a message every couple of weeks to basically say, hey, don't forget about us. After three messages, then they fell off the cliff and we don't know what happened to them. And so now what we've done is my team really focuses on developing content that continues to engage people. Maybe I do need to get my loved one home health care, or I do need to get a second opinion for this cancer diagnosis, that they know that we're the place that they can go to do that. For Franciscan, marketing owns everything. Marketing owns the call center, believe it or not, for us. It's not operations. Marketing owns the call center for us. We own everything that's happening outside of the clinical encounter, which really helps us break down silos and helps us to make sure that we're providing the best consumer experience across the continuum of care, which is what we're, we're trying to accomplish. What all goes into building a nurturing process? What my team does to build a nurturing campaign is we lay out what we want the topic of each email to be. So potentially there's going to be a topic of, hey, meet the bariatric surgeon who is in your geography. Why is bariatric surgery the right thing for you? If you haven't responded to the first time or the the second time that we requested for you to pick up the phone, then we'll have a little bit of more of a softer call to action. And hey, you haven't completed our our, uh, health risk assessment yet. Why don't we'll, we'll send you this health risk assessment because you've only downloaded the guide or you completed the health risk assessment, but you haven't read the guide yet, or you haven't watched the seminar yet. So we've got these different soft CTAs. And for us, I really think that soft CTA is what sets us apart. Every one of our soft CTAs is designed to lead you to the path of that hard CTA because the hard CTA is where the ROI is. So we're creating content that's that's leading you down the path. We, we stole somebody who, who used to do content creation for Amazon. And she actually, what she does is she writes all the CRM copy for our landing pages, for our campaigns. She writes that copy in a very responsive copy way. It's not clinical. If you download a guide about lung cancer, it's going to have a very clinical feel, but she's going to write the the copy for all of that nurture pathway. She's the one that's going to write that and she's writing it in a responsive way to take that next step. So I, you know, I can imagine folks are listening and thinking, okay, well, we, we do some parts or pieces of this, or maybe we've got a health risk assessment tool or some kind of online calls to action. So what are some tips or, or something they could go do today? Doesn't necessarily require any money or anything like that, but to start thinking about, well, how do we move from just re-engaging folks to, to a true nurturing process? You look at that as a relationship. One of the things that we're doing is we're also creating content that speaks into the white spaces. So for example, last week, you know, as you and I are speaking, we just had time change. We sent out an email blast about time change. It had a clock that wound up, uh, a GIF that wound, and it gave some health tips about how you should help your little ones through the time chain. There was no CTA on it. There was nothing. I mean, you, you could download it or you, you could go in and um, request to be part of our newsletter, our e-newsletter, right? But that was it. It was just speaking to that white space because this is a long-term relationship. 
We've seen studies that say the lifetime value for a healthcare patient is over a million dollars. The lifetime value of a household is around two and a half million dollars. If we can keep those people engaged with us once we've got their content and then nurture that relationship, whatever that nurturing looks like, that we should focus on the relationship. Look for areas that you can speak into white spaces. But I would also say, if you're capturing leads now, however you're capturing those leads, that lead was expensive. Whatever your dollar amount was, whether it was over $100, whether it was under $100, that lead cost you money. Don't throw that lead away by letting them decide whether they're going to take the next step or not. Nurture that relationship. Send them information. For for us, once we get to that hard CTA level where we're saying, yep, you want to talk to somebody, have that phone call be made right away. Don't have it be made a couple of days later and maybe it gets made and maybe it doesn't. Make sure that you've got that process in place where you've got a a call center rep or you've got somebody, you're not saying, well, one of our doctors will call you and the doctors, of course, are too busy. They're never going to call. Right, right. You know, so you've got this process in place where you know that you know that you know that that person is not going to fall through the cracks and they're going to continue to take that next step. My background is not healthcare. My background is car business and that kind of thing. Man, when I was in the Chicago auto business, it's really competitive. Every dealership is going after every person who's in the market for buying a car. And that's how we need to get in this healthcare space where we know that every lead is valuable, that every person is worth us taking the time to build that relationship with, because we feel like at Franciscan that they're going to get the best care here. So we need to make sure that they come here and they don't go to one of our competitors. Man, I appreciate it. Again, Ben Seiden from Franciscan Health. Certainly appreciate you coming on the show for a few minutes. For those that uh, are maybe getting into this space or curious about what you guys are doing or like to connect, is there a good way for folks to reach out to you? Yeah, like everybody else, I'm on LinkedIn, S-E-Y-D-E-N. Awesome. We'll uh, be sure to link to it in the show notes and uh, look forward to having you uh, back on in the future. Thanks for your time, Reed. All right. Special thanks to Ben for coming on the show. It's funny, like I said before the break, it was, uh, it's funny how important this is now, you know, from when we actually recorded this. Not that it wasn't important at the time, but did not realize that this was going to be this top of mind at this point and will only continue to grow as we move forward, it looks like. So appreciate him coming on. Yeah, he was great. A couple of thoughts before we get into recommendations. Uh, if you signed up for the TPS report, you will have seen this, but we've got a few links in there to upcoming conferences, all of which are virtual at this point, certainly. But if you'd like to know a little bit more about uh, HMPS or HCIC or some of those that are uh, coming down the pipe that you're used to going to, we've got links to all of those uh, in the newsletter you can sign up for, or certainly you can you can visit them online. would love to know how you're going to participate in those conferences Love to hear from you because obviously we're not going to get to see you in person this year, but it'll be an interesting end of year awards, I think, this year. Most most listened to during the coronavirus. Anyway, <laughs> lots of stuff coming up, but but certainly uh, check out that, sign up for the newsletter, and that would be awesome. What about recommendations? What are you going with today? 
Reed, I'm going to recommend a book. You probably know this. Even before the pandemic, I've been baking bread. This is something I just started to get into a hobby of doing. And a lot of people reach out to me and they say, hey, um, what do you find to be the best book to uh, bake bread? Getting started or I have been baking bread at home, but I want to take it to a whole nother level. So I'm going to, this is a, two recommendations in one. If you're just getting started, and you want to get a book that just kind of helps you to just how to make bread really quick, I would strongly recommend a book that was written by someone that actually lives here in Minnesota, Minneapolis. Uh, It's called Bread in Five, Artisan Bread in Five Minutes a Day. And it's a really just down and dirty, real quick way to get started on making artisan bread. It's one of the first ones that I started to look at, oh, must have been about two years ago now. But if you are in an advanced stage, There's another book that I just really, really love. It's by a gentleman by the name of Ken Forkish. And what I like about Ken's book, which is called Flour, Water, Salt, and Yeast, is that the first half of the book is about his story. He was a software developer in California. He decided uh, after selling off his company that he doesn't want to be in technology anymore. He flew to France and studied with French bread makers. And then the elements that he brings forward in the, in his book are from what he learned when he was in France. And so um, not only is it a great, inspiring story, so one day, Reed, when I stop doing podcasting and uh, maybe get out of digital marketing entirely, I might go to France and bake bread too. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, but this is the book. He's got great recipes, one of the best sourdough recipes I've ever used. The book, again, is called Flour, Water, Salt, and Yeast by Ken Forkish. And then for those, again, for the starters, go out and find Bread in Five, which is a book by uh, Jeff Hertzberg. That's my recommendation. Great recommendations. I am actually going to recommend an app. I don't think we've recommended this before. But anyway, Poshmark. Have you recommended this before? No. It's a great way to, I mean, there's lots of ways, obviously, that you can buy and sell stuff on the internet. But Poshmark is specific to fashion, so clothes and shoes and stuff like that. You can buy and sell. You know, during this time, maybe you're cleaning out closets and things like that. So kind of the virtual garage sale, if you will. There's a great marketplace here. And I'll be honest, there's a guy here in the neighborhood that has uh, started selling some stuff just because he's bored. And he has some nice things, but like t-shirts and stuff like that. He recommended that you price them like they're worth something (laughs) and they'll sell. And he's made like six grand over the last few weeks, like just selling huh. stuff on Poshmark. So anyway, it's cool. It's a cool app. Uh, you can obviously use their website as well, Poshmark.com, but good place to, a uh, good marketplace to buy and sell clothes. So there you go. Great recommendation. I'll have to check that out. So make some uh, money during the pandemic. So. <laughs> All right. Well, there is another week in the books, uh, episode 181. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. We uh, would love it if you would tell somebody new this week, somebody on your team. Maybe it's a colleague. Maybe it's somebody at another organization that you think would uh, like the show. We would certainly appreciate that. And uh, if we can do anything, answer any questions, uh, cover a topic, maybe there's somebody you'd like us to interview, just reach out. And we'd love that. Touchpoint.health is the website. That's Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.